Welcome to Film Buddies with Tuesday, and this episode's co-host is Amy DePaola. Amy, if you want to introduce yourself, let people know about your background. Hey, everyone. My name is Amy DePaola. I am a filmmaker. I write, I produce, I direct. Sometimes I act. Um, but uh, I also run a production company called Pink Among Men that hosts a podcast of the same name where we interview creators about what motivates them in their work. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I love talking about film. Uh, I love supporting women in the industry. Um, I'm really excited to hang out with you today, Tuesday. Sweet. And you had said that you've directed some some action, or most recently your film was action. Yeah, so I yeah. Think- so I um, directed ten, oh, excuse me, five episodes of a series called The Naturals, which was created by a woman named Caitlin Graham. Uh, she, uh, one of her most notable credits was. Um, the series Queering, which premiered at South by Southwest in 2019. Uh, And that series is about a woman who returns home to her Boston suburban town and picks up where her father left off as a hitman for the mob. Um, It's a, it sort of takes the crime genre and turns it it on its head a little bit. We're looking at women um, who are in the positions of, uh, of violence really. And, Uh, also queer people. Um, There was a lot of uh, queer representation in that story. So I'm super excited to get that out in the world. We're like inches from picture locking. So uh, all episodes and like, you know, starting that process of thinking about our distribution. But it was the first time that I had to direct and choreograph um, action sequences, violence, uh, using a lot of blood and stuff. And uh, I gotta be honest. I'm, that's not like my first like go to like in my own writing, but like mm. I had, I had so much fun with it. It really is nice. like it does, it does bring a, a level of like another layer of complexity of thinking about things. So I, mm-hmm. I'm also very excited for our conversation today in light of what I just said for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think it, it sounds like your experience might be more similar to Kathy's than Catherine's. Because Kathy has female leads, but Catherine doesn't really. She has like male leads, I would say, 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the two directors we're going to be talking about, Kathy Yan, who is more recently known for Birds of Prey, and Catherine Bigelow, which I think most people know from Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. But she's yeah. got a lot of other action war films as well. <laughs> she's got a, a ton of film. I think I remember like... Uh, when I learned that she did Point Break, I was mm-hmm. like, what? I don't know why. I watched I thought- that for this and, and was like, okay, this feels very different from her more recent films because my first, the first film I saw of hers was The Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Detroit and I was like, okay, I feel like I have my finger on like what she is as a director. And then I watched Point Break, which still has action and stuff, but it felt very different from her other films. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think when I learned that information that she had directed that, I was like, wow, that's really ahead of her her time, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a, a period in Hollywood or a genre even that I would think would have, like, blinked at having a woman yeah. come on and directing. <laughs> so in one way, I'm For like, sure. that is so awesome. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that, you know, she was the eye behind that. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that when I was a little girl. I, you I don't think I would have known, right, though, like – representation wise mm-hmm. looking at screen at the screen and like the other sort of nuances between the relationships like mm-hmm. that a woman actually directed that mm-hmm. yeah 
I've, it feels very stereotypically masculine, I think, as a, a film goes. Yeah. But let's talk about Kathy's career and background first, since hers is uh, still fledgling, I think, is a way to describe it. She's Birds of Prey was like her first big film. Mm-hmm. But... And she's she's young compared to Catherine as well, so she's very like fresh in the industry. That's right, um, she is. She is. Yeah, <laughs> she's like my older brother's age, so very very young for. And she she only um, got her MFA in producing in 2016. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, very been, recent. Which is also crazy, right? Like that is so mm-hmm. recent. And then you're directing. You're the second woman to direct. Um, a yeah, Marvel super, or Marvel superhero Marvel? film. Maybe like, it's DC. I don't. I can't keep them straight. <laughs> so I, what Birds of Prey? Is it DC? Harley Quinn? I'm. I'm. I can never keep it separate. Like since childhood and reading comics, they've always been the same to me. I know they're very different, but it's something I would have to like Google. You're probably right that it's DC. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. So no, Birds of Prey comes from. Um, uh, she Harley Quinn, Batman, Batman. Oh, that might be DC. Yeah. That might be DC. Yeah. yeah, it is DC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to take it back to the the roots of Batman, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the only way I can I can follow it. Um, yeah, I yeah. really, you know, I'm I didn't know enough about Kathy, and I'm going to say it that way. Like, I didn't know enough about Kathy before you mm-hmm. asked me to come on uh, this show and focus on these two uh, mm-hmm. directors. I loved learning more about her career and how she came to be Um, just, you know, going from Sundance, like as an Mm -hmm. filmmaker and and doing what you can to make a film, especially where she was in life from what I read Mm -hmm. um, to directing that scale of a film is incredible. And I love Mm -hmm. the story of that simple mood reel that she put together um, Mm -hmm. that, left you know executives speechless um i think it it played a a song a a a riff on diamonds are a girl's best friend um which actually fun fact i can't stand that song like the remix like the the updated remix version of it yeah it's like very um I don't know who sings it. It's like demi lovato or you know some some pop singer like right 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 like took it on um I think, is it the Seven Rings Ariana Grande song? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's who it is. Um, mm-hmm. No shade to Ariana Grande, but I think <laughs> I that song has been presented to me to be used in some commercial work that I was involved with. And I was like, but how is <laughs> And it was supposed to be about female empowerment. I was like, but how right. is it empowerment? So for the audience, it was she used that song uh, the Ari- mm-hmm. Ariana Grande song and paired it with and you know did a mashup of all these different patriarchal ways that women are uh, portrayed in media so she used like snippets from like the bachelor the bachelorette mm-hmm. she used trump's uh you know inf- now infamous line grab him by the pussy <laughs> like all that kind of right. stuff mm-hmm. and that was all not that's not that that was all it took for her to get that job but that was when they knew she was the right person to tell Mm -hmm. uh that story birds of prey i think that's really cool that she kind of took it's almost like an out of the box idea for how to present the film and it worked 
This is why we need new voices and different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. It sure did. So we'll take it back in time. Yeah. And Kathy was born in China in 1986, so we'll give her a little background here. Um, But she grew up in Virginia until she was a teenager, and then she went back to Hong Kong and finished high school there, which I'm sure helped shape her worldview because it's like she's like between two cultures um, and then she, she went to Princeton, graduated from Princeton in 2008, and then pursued producing at NYU School of Tisch. And yeah, as you said, she graduated in 2016 from there. So she's really, she's like highly educated and really a go-getter, it seems. Um, and she started her, her career as a journalist for the LA Times and Wall Street Journal. And I had read that she was working for, for, um, the Wall Street Times in Hong Kong, which I thought was also cool that she is still maintaining like this dual world as she grows into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think it's like a lot of filmmakers where you're like, yeah, this documentary, like realism stuff is cool, but I want to experience some, some fiction. So she began writing and that's when she made, um, her after she's made a few shorts, she made her first dramedy film, Dead Pigs, which I really want to see, but it has no U.S. distribution. Yeah, yeah, but it. I guess there was like a, a sea of dead pigs uh, a decade ago in China. I'm not sure if it is in Hong Kong, but she was a journalist then covering it and and like tucked it away as like this is a really interesting social thing that has happened and how has it affected the community and then made it uh, into a fiction film that premiered at Sundance which for a first feature that's got to be awesome I yes I feel like that's the (laughs) dream right like people set out with like that in mind I think it's really Mm -hmm. interesting uh, that she has a journalistic background and has transitioned into this other storytelling format. Um, Mm -hmm. And just how, you know, when I think about any kind of fantasy or sci-fi or horror film, um, you know, and a lot of people look at that genre as like escapism in a way, those genres, you know, it's escapism Mm -hmm. from reality, but like truly every every bit of every story comes from some truth right and mm-hmm. it, it seems that that's what she did with you know her first film like she was she mm-hmm. saw the irony and truth um i'm dying to see it too because i i love dark comedy that is uh, yeah. yeah yeah i feel like birds of prey seems to have a very similar style to at least the trailer of dead pigs where mm-hmm. it's kind of like an absurdist realism in a way like it, it, it is dark comedy but it's also gritty yeah so i think she has a specific style so far, but I wonder how that will progress as she does more and more features. I also wonder the um, the nature of that mashup, right? I was like, I noticed the other day, I've been going through these waves in this pandemic of like what kind of movies I've been into. So I like mm-hmm. that kind of matched my mood. So I started the pandemic <laughs> watching a lot of like disaster, earth disaster mm-hmm. films like Armageddon yeah. and Deep Impact. A deep Impact, which was also directed by a woman, too. Um, and uh, I've now I'm finding myself watching a lot of zombie films. Which is <laughs> 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 a ridiculous, a ridiculous mm-hmm. genre. Um, but they're all and I, I turned to my husband the other day. I was like, all these zombie films are like it's co- it's like co- they're comedic. Why? And my mm-hmm. husband was like, well, because the concept of a zombie is just absolutely stupid. 
I that's a good point. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but I also wonder, and I feel like that's very much like on trend if mm-hmm. film right now, right? And so, mm-hmm. and I think that that is, uh, it's important for filmmakers to notice, like, especially if you're scaling up, like, there's a balance of like mm-hmm. having this independent eye and also like kind of reading the room, if you will, and seeing what people's appetites are for right now. And I mm-hmm. think where do you, you know, where do you grow from from there? Um, Mm -hmm. and how do you grow from there? Um, it looks like, uh, from what, uh, from what we have in her bio here, she's, um, working with A24 now Mm -hmm. on a film called Sour Hearts. Yeah, that is an adaptation of a book. So she's writing the adaptation and then is slated to direct it as well, which is cool because A24 is almost exclusively like horror and thrillers. So Mm -hmm. she does seem to be transitioning towards a darker genre, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. At least perhaps less laughs. I don't know <laughs> what she'll end up doing. But but I, I felt like a lot of her interviews had relatable things. So um, in an interview with No Film School, she was saying she relied on her heart and gut for directing, which especially for like a first-time feature director, that makes a lot of sense. Like you don't have as much production and onset experience, so you – really have to rely on your instincts Mm -hmm. um but the quote is it's got to be personal because that's the only thing that's going to get you across the finish line you'll make something that's different and interesting which i think is is something to to keep in our minds as we are going into projects oh my god i think that's the number one rule (laughs) right i i always um a couple of years ago when I really first started producing on my own um, and, you know, you have when you when you make the choice to start producing on your own or independent uh, work, you have to also make the sacrifice that you are going to be doing this for almost for nothing. Like literally, yeah. I'll just be frank. <laughs> my first several series and films that I produced, I didn't make a dime on it. And if I did, I probably put it into like gas to get to set and or like you know I felt bad I brought around a coffees for everybody like something you know I went kind of that way (laughs) yeah Um, and the only reason I would ever sign on to anything though is I used to ask filmmakers and I I since have started to also when I direct ask myself that too is like why like why are you doing this right like I want to know their motivations for choosing a story because I think if Mm -hmm. I don't get a real compelling answer like that one like if it's not something that like has to be done because X, Y, and Z and like I have to be the person because X, Y, and Z and it's like there's conviction mm-hmm. behind it, I'm not going to – I'm not going to get involved with that, right? Because it is mm-hmm. – you know, it is one of the hardest – like let's face it, we're in like one of the hardest industries to work in. <laughs> yep. Yep. Soul crushing at times, but we still do it because it's exhilarating. It's ex- it is. It's so exhilarating. So I think that that is like – the number one rule and if you know what Mm -hmm. and also though with that i do want to say that it is okay to have that feeling and for that feeling to maybe disappear on certain Mm -hmm. ideas um yeah you know uh i feel Mm -hmm. like especially with women like kathy too like we're we're talking about a lot of her successes i'm sure there's about a billion failures failures in between them right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but those aren't as 
as easy to find or as public. Yeah, no, 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 of course not. <laughs> we don't want to be like, hey, I failed 10 times before one thing worked because yeah. that's disheartening. Um, but I, I think like also leading with your gut as a director makes your content more interesting. I feel like that's why some of the stuff we see coming out of Hollywood is kind of lackluster because the story's not particularly interesting or unique anyway. So I'm sure it's harder for a director to feel like this is this is it. Like, this is great. Of course. <laughs> when when you're like, it's another rom-com with the same plot as always. Yeah. If you have people yeah. who are not feeling the vibes on set or, um, in, you know, just not really into the story or who are, like, rolling their eyes, like, at the onset mm-hmm. of it, I mean, yeah, I think there's going to be a big problem um, <laughs> with what you're doing. I think... Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, and this sort of contradicts what I said before as a director, but, you know, one of the reasons why I've loved um, living and working in New York so much is is because of the presence of the independent spirit of making. Um, Mm -hmm. And I enjoy meeting filmmakers from uh, alternative cities that uh, you don't usually think of are like film hubs like Boston Mm -hmm. or uh, Denver, um, Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Uh, because, you know, there's like a free, there's a freeness to them in terms of what they feel they can go explore story wise. And then, you know, meanwhile, cut to some of my friends that live in Los Angeles, I'll be like, Oh, what are you working on right now? And what, and oh, why? Well, you know, I saw that that was like a trending genre on the blacklist, or I saw like, you know, that this was something that people were like looking for. And I think that, like I said before, there's a balance, right? Because we mm-hmm. all are also trying to, like, feed ourselves, too. Right. Like, actually, <laughs> physically feed ourselves. Not just Surprise. Surprise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. guys. We're not all broke artists, right? <laughs> like, I, I had an aunt one time ask me if I had – she, like, cornered me in a bathroom, and she was like, do you have health insurance? I was like, <laughs> so weird. Uh, Thank you for your concern. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I lived in Massachusetts at the time, which has socialized health care. Um, oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, so that, that was makes nice. it easier. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I do. yeah. Anyways, we're getting yeah. off topic here. <laughs> yeah, the the last thing I think I have for Kathy's background is that she we mentioned that she got her um, MFA in producing, but she had thought that it would just be easier to become a producer because she's both a woman of color and an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Which, and I do think the numbers confirm that, like women are more into producing and executive producing roles than than other creative ones, just because I guess it's more acceptable to produce than, than um, be creative as a woman in the industry. But I thought that was interesting that she recognized that and pursued it, but still directing has sprung from that for her. Yeah, yeah, wow, I relate to that a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, you started with producing before going into directing? Yeah, I actually, I started as an actor. And, okay. um, you know, it was a, I was a child actor and then I got kind of frustrated with um, auditioning and just like feeling yeah. very different from the teenagers I was growing up with. Mm-hmm. And so I left it and then I went, but then I, you know, I was bitten with the bug before I could even read. I was auditioning, so uh, it just, like, it found me. Like, I feel like I was just sort of, like, nature nurtured into this business. And Mm -hmm. I went back to auditioning after I got out of undergrad, um, and I was living in uh, Manhattan at the time. And I 
was just so frustrated. Like I dove right into, you know, education and like going to like classes and trying to hide behind that veil of like, oh, I'm preparing, I'm preparing. Um, Mm -hmm. And really though, I think it was a little bit of like a guard of like fear of rejection because a lot of the roles, this was like 2000 and I'm going to date myself. This was like 2008. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So Gossip Girl was like the hottest thing shooting in Mm -hmm. New York City. And I had a a test run with an agent at a a pretty significant agency. And she was just so mad that I could never book these roles because I had like the, the right look. I had like, you know, long hair and I was 110 pounds and white and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, I just couldn't relate though to being like, um, that privileged that, you know, that kind of like Mm -hmm. the sort of like, kind of whatever and so I instinctually decided like oh well I think I'm gonna just uh do what Adrienne Shelley did that was a a woman I admired um who wrote directed and acted in uh her films including her feature Waitress which uh won Sundance in 2006 um as we know now it's a it was a you know Broadway musical that property did very very well (laughs) um I actually started working with the producers that helped make that film um And yeah, from there, I just, I, you know, producing was also my way to be like, Hey mom and dad, like this pays the bills. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about it a lot because directing didn't come until, um, I had been working for like six or seven years before I decided to even try to be like raising my hand. Like I can do it, (laughs) you know, like it was, um, and even touching a camera too was like, in, you know, I went I went back to school for that, and that was like, kind of shunned in the institution I went to. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the women found themselves in the producing or writing classes. I ended mm-hmm. up teaching producing where I went to film school, uh, and it is it's dominated by women, and I think that that has a lot to do with the way the industry was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sort of a a quote unquote motherly. Uh, sort of a position that you take as a producer on many projects. But I think Mm -hmm. what you said before that, like, you know, men have just been seen as these like creative geniuses, you know, Mm -hmm. like Hitchcock, (laughs) Orson Welles, Mm -hmm. um, Scorsese. Um, Not to say they aren't brilliant, but. Right. I have this book called The Great Movie Makers of Hollywood's Golden Age and it's interviews there are like 50 interviews, I think, and they're all with men. And it's like, well, it's not as though women were not present during that time directing. It's just that we don't view them as we view Hitchcock and Scorsese. It's, it's like Linda Linklater is not as common of a household name. So people no. don't, don't care in the same way. Yeah, I even feel like Agnes Varda only in the last couple of years has really Mm -hmm. taken the stage as like the cultural icon that she was Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, her her image. Like I always think of like the, you know, Hitchcock had his like profile as part of his logo, right? And as Agnes aged, then we we Mm -hmm. finally started seeing like more of that illustration of her face out there too. Yeah, Um, with the framed by that little bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two-tone <laughs> hair, um, which is yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I it is a uh, it is a role that I I actually I'm I'm scratching my head right now 
I don't know that many male producers. Yeah, I I knew I worked on a feature last spring, and I think that was the first time I worked with a male producer and a male line producer. Generally, I'm working with female producers and line producers. It's wild. That is pretty wild. <laughs> that is very wild. Yeah. Even at the creative agency I worked for, all the producers were women. So yeah. on one hand, we're like, female team, this is great. But on the other, it's still like stereotypical totally. women in roles that they're like allowed to be in. Yeah, like where are the female so, directors, right? Or the, the DPs, know. right? The, con- mm-hmm. the ones who control like the image. Right, really, and not know? just yeah the pocketbook yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that's absolutely that's a great way yeah. to put it mm-hmm. um I thought it was interesting though learning about Kathy's career that her trajectory seemed to be very similar to what we see men male directors have where they they like have a sh- short or a couple of shorts and then they have something that does well at a festival and then suddenly they're doing blockbusters mm-hmm. that is very rare as when we talk about Catherine Bigelow like it's very rare for that to happen it's typically like great you had a successful feature all right <laughs> like yeah like maybe we'll consider you in five years but it's not as though their career suddenly takes off so it's great that she is still that she's slated to direct something else and is having like so far as having success that the one would hope she would have i'm glad that she's able to to go from uh an indie that was at sundance to mm-hmm. a blockbuster like birds of prey back to indie with a24 mm-hmm. um, yeah i feel like that is something that you've only really seen uh men do as you pointed out mm-hmm. you know like yeah. i feel like you there's a sort of like or there used to be i think it is changing this judgment in hollywood where you have to like pick a lane mm-hmm. stay in that lane mm-hmm. um and i like that that's that's changing because i think mm-hmm. I, you know, as we transition into talking about Catherine, right? Yep. Like, which is yep. a much different career, much different. Very yeah. much. Yeah. So a little bit of background on Catherine Bigelow. And I realized like today that I'm going to get tripped up saying Kathy and Catherine. <laughs> I like that they have the same name. It's like the, the, yeah. the Kathy and Catherine. Yeah. 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 It could be their own show. Um, but Catherine was born in 1951 in California and was definitely interested in arts from the young age. She earned a degree in fine arts from the San Francisco Art Institute. And then she attended the Whitney Museum's independent study program, which I thought was cool because I didn't know about the Whitney Museum until I moved to New York. So I was like, OK, oh, it is a big deal, but yeah. it just wasn't on my radar until I, I lived here. Um, And then she graduated with an MFA from Columbia in theory and criticism. So she's definitely been like, like Kathy, definitely educated in various arts and entertainment or production facets, which I thought was neat. Yeah. There's like some similarities. It's like a, it's a, it's a very different type of um, education. It's sort of then some of the practical stuff that, you know, a, an MFA and or an MBA um, mm-hmm. would teach you. Um, and especially for the years that she was studying this um, and then mm-hmm. to see where she went with it, like to get an MFA in theory and criticism, I feel like that's a degree that like, it's like, what do you do with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she would have been there probably in the late, mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it seems like, and, and definitely an interesting time. It, it's almost feels like a philo- 
philosophy degree in some extent like it definitely yeah, what, is it what totally do you is. do what do you do <laughs> practically with that? with that um but in the late 1970s she directed her first short titled the setup and a few years later directed her first feature called the loveless which has willem dafoe in his first starring role that's incredible it, it's always neat like how the industry kind of it's like a spider web. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you can when you find out like who was roommates with who or like who took mm-hmm. a class at the groundlings together, I'm a, I love that stuff too. Yeah. Then the six degrees of Kevin Bacon makes a lot of sense because it's just Totally does. Like everyone knows someone somewhere. Which is neat. Um but so her first feature is nineteen eighty one and it took six years, uh so nineteen eighty seven for her to direct her second feature near dark. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like it's more the trajectory we do see for female directors so it's like yeah you had a film cool whatever <laughs> come back in a few years and we'll see if we give you another shot yeah they always say that the yeah. sophomore film um is the harder one to make like mm. your first like in the sense that like you did your first film and now raising money for like the second film is is supposedly harder that's that's what i've heard i've asked a couple mm. filmmakers who have gone on to make their uh first feature and their second feature uh and there's been a lot of different opinions on that but it's sort of the (laughs) that's a word on the street gotcha i guess that would also make sense just from a creative perspective where you feel like if if your first one has done well can i hold up to that in a second one i think Mm -hmm. for me personally i feel like i would put more pressure on myself than than i i would expect others to i guess put on me i I think it'd be more in my head yeah Absolutely agree. <laughs> I feel like I've put, I, I've done that with like even my short films, like just a, you know what I mean? Just like a ton mm-hmm. of, of, of unnecessary pressure, like <laughs> really unnecessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the nineties when she was directing, she was also writing a lot of her projects or co-writing them before she shifted into more of a director producer role. Um, and I, and I think most of her work in the 90s, 2000s, till now, is definitely action, drama. Totally. And then her 2008 Hurt Locker really pushed her into, like, the public knowledge. Yeah. Um, and winning against her ex-husband, James Cameron, that year. I mm-hmm. remember they, like, you know, they... <sighs> This is where I get real sad about this this topic. Um, oh. <laughs> no shade to Catherine Bigelow. I, you know, it's it's her life, and she's done mm-hmm. amazing things, and she is the only woman to have won an yes. Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. And it, this isn't her fault, so I shouldn't even say no shade to her. But like the way the media <laughs> and the press portrayed that, like Catherine Cameron pitted against each other for an award. Mm-hmm. Um, for what film was he up for that year? Was it Avatar? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they were like, oh, the Academy sat them like in front of in front and behind each other, and that that was purposeful so that we could see, mm. you know, James's reaction when he lost <laughs> to his ex-wife and, right, and right. Like, you know, the tabloids are like, you know, kind of coming at her like she beats ex-husband. And it's like, could we just talk about the fact that she was the first mm-hmm. woman? Because I don't remember that be like i remember it being like oh she's the first woman but it was like cool blow like blow over that fact and Mm -hmm. like keep going (laughs) it was like wait can we focus on that aspect real quick Um, yeah i feel like 
I wonder if that's partially because it's been more in the last five years that we've been more aware of how gender dyna- gender dynamics and race dynamics in the industry kind of break down. So I wonder if 2008 was just a time where, like, yeah, people in the industry knew about it, but it wasn't as maybe commonly talked about or it was and it wasn't so the story i brought up earlier with the two producers that i was working for um it was a production company called wet productions which was a a pun fully intended uh way to title (laughs) yeah that's how i used to describe it but it originally stood for women's expressive theater and then when Mm. they started fundraising for feature films they transitioned into wet productions and uh, our mission was to further the careers of female writers and directors. And we had all these statistics that like when I was like pitching us, um, I don't think it was as widely like the media wasn't speaking about it the way they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was certainly there were, you know, obviously progressive and vocal people that were bringing it up there was just nothing culturally and this is something I've been thinking about a lot Mm. lately especially with the uh the Black Lives Matter movement and art and and research and context next to time there was nothing culturally happening outside of yeah these are just the facts and the way it is for people to really grab hold of and and call attention to it um you know unfortunately it took uh women coming forward about uh, Harvey Weinstein for everyone to be like, right. oh, yeah, look at all these statistics mm-hmm. um, and really take them seriously. The same way I look at like Ava DuVernay's uh, The 13th, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tremendous film, definitely won a lot of awards. So it wasn't like it didn't get attention, but it's cultural right. relevance and the way people were talking about it when it came out versus to today right like and how people are viewing that film Mm -hmm. um it does make for an interesting uh you know it it, artwork is timeless no matter what it's going to talk about i think that that's like the one Mm -hmm. thing that's really great but also uh the context of the time is going to always influence what we're we're looking at Mm -hmm. um and uh i i look back at that moment when she won that oscar and i'm just like i don't missed opportunity for women in hollywood and the industry right yeah Um, to be like this should not be happening in 2008 when the industry is over 100 years old like this should be bigger news because it should have happened 50 years ago (laughs) right no totally um But yeah, I do. I, I feel like I've I've grown a like I don't like James Cameron from this moment. <laughs> like, in my head, like I'm just like yeah. oh, James Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I did you see the Hurt Locker? Did you like it? Mm-hmm. I saw it a few years ago, and I'm not so big on like. If I watch action movies, I generally like action comedy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So watching it, and it's very dark and very serious, but I thought it was really well done for, for what it is. Um, I think it's interesting that she does incorporate, like, heartfelt moments between, like, male characters, but it's also kind of weird that she really doesn't have women in her movies. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I recently saw Detroit as well, which I was like, it's a cool movie. It's really interesting. But the women in it are kind of like, uh, they're accessories and not really totally. full characters. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Um, I what I loved about um, the Hurt Locker was the acting. Um, 2008 mm-hmm. was the year that I kind of entered back into the industry and uh, was paying a, a big attention to like performance uh, and performance on screen. And I think that that was probably my favorite part of that film. Yeah. Um, the last thing I have for, for notes on her is that she has not called herself a feminist filmmaker. She kind of seems to like shun that as a title because I understand that wanting to be like, I'm a female director. Like you're just a director. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But I also think like the history of the industry to where we are now, it is also a very defining characteristic and like Female directors are still not common in in big budget films, so I don't think it's a problem to own it and to be like, yeah, I am in this position where I'm a rarity that I sh- and I shouldn't be a rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she seems to to just like a quote from MIT's The Tech. She says, "If there's specific resistance to women making movies, I just choose to ignore that as an obstacle for two reasons: I can't change my gender, and I refuse to stop making movies." Which I get, but but I think I, I would like her to own it and be more inspiring, I think, for more up-and-coming directors and directors like me who are like still working on little indie things but have hopes of one day, you know, getting a blockbuster opportunity, so. Sure. I mean, I understand <sighs> where she's coming from, um, but I think when you're in a position of power, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as you just said, I think it's important that you use that power for uh to help others Mm -hmm. and you know you see a lot of um female directors that are doing what they can to pitch in to get uh somebody like yourself or myself like the opportunity Mm -hmm. that's knocking and Mm -hmm. Yeah, that disappoints me. But I'm also not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah, I mean, just looking at the content she does direct. Yeah. and mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the stories that she, tell, that she tells are really sitting in the, in the male gaze and POV, which I don't blame her for because she definitely grew up in that generation mm-hmm. where that was the norm and sort of defined filmmaking. And I mm-hmm. think that there's also to be said, I read a, an interesting article, um, you know, when uh, – Oh my gosh, why is her name slipping my mind? Uh, she directed Little Women. Greta uh, Gerwig? Yes, Greta Gerwig, when she was nominated for an Oscar. And everyone was mm-hmm. making a big deal out of it because now it's culturally in the conversation. Right. And Catherine Bigelow was referenced a lot when t- people spoke about Greta. And mm-hmm. But one thing that someone pointed out that I thought was really <laughs> tremendous is like, hey, you realize that the only women that have ever been nominated for Oscars in both the writing category and the directing category were in relationships with men who had significant hold in the industry. Oh, that's a really good point. I know. I I didn't think about that. I hate Mm -hmm. to to like dilute it because I also I love Greta Gerwig's films, um, Mm -hmm. particularly the, you know, her films that she's did years and years and years back. Right. um, Mm -hmm. When she was still part of that like New York indie yeah uh scene um but it's true and i you know you can't deny that there is something that comes from your access and of course your relationships get you access that's the basis of networking you know Mm -hmm. um so i 
that, that is just something that I think is like good to have awareness of um, mm-hmm. when we're thinking about who's, you know, when we get to the be part of the nominating committee, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. How we're we're contextualizing and looking at people, or or questioning maybe maybe more so. It's not really like, oh, I'm going to judge someone's film extra hard because they're in a relationship with Noah Baumbach, but right. I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm going to think about how I discovered this person, right? Like what was Mm -hmm. my path to learning about this work and maybe thinking about it in that context. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, she, uh, Catherine, we need you. Yeah. (laughs) We still need you. I'm curious, like what she will, like if, if the content that she directs will transform at all as culture is, growing and transforming too or if she'll kind of stick with her like action war based male centric content mm-hmm. I but think too I have no way of guessing <laughs> if too it's worth noting right now that she you know she directed Detroit um, mm-hmm. which is a film that many people I think thought was a miss in having a person of color helm that that piece and I, she said something very similar. Um, I forget where I read it um, to this quote about, you know, being a female filmmaker of like, you know, the thing that people should care about is the result in the film. And that's true. That is mm-hmm. true. But also um, I have a friend who act, performed in that film, uh, an accessory role. Her whole thing was to like sit at home and cry on the phone. Right. Um, <laughs> reminds me of that Amy Schumer skit. And she said oh, it was boy. lovely to work with, which is great. Like she, mm-hmm. she is very actor friendly um, from mm-hmm. what I know, which is something that I think is uh, um, I, as a director, I tend to lead with the performers as well. That's most notably due to my background. I'm also still mm-hmm. pretty scared of cameras. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so you understand it, but I think it would be nice for her to maybe like own a perspective more strongly because like Detroit is a city with a population that is mostly black. And um, I think there are also like a lot of Latino, Latina mm-hmm. people that still live there. Like I grew up in the Metro Detroit area. So it, oh, it's did. something that I, I'm, yeah, that I was used to seeing. And so if I had seen Detroit and it was led by a white person, I think I would have been like, this is not true to the city in general. Yeah. It would have just been it would have been like another green book where you're like mm-hmm. mm, this is for hollywood not for anybody else yeah it's um a, what are they so, white savior films yeah. yeah yeah so i think i think that was a good choice and i think it would be nice if she was like listen historically this is what's true to the city and that's what we're going with um rather than just like oh you know i don't see it as any particular way totally totally <laughs> We need some strong convictions, Catherine. That's what we want. Do we know what she's working on right now or what she has in the pipeline? I'm not sure that I noticed anything coming up. Let's see if I can find out real quick. I'm not seeing anything like pop up right now. Detroit was only a couple years ago. So <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe she's maybe she's writing since she has that writer director. She's also, background. holy shit, she's 68 years old. <laughs> I don't know why I find that, I mean, she looks great. She looks great. I thought she was maybe 50s, but yeah, yeah. not. 
68. That. That's impressive. I Ma- That's the age of retiring. Maybe she's just. Maybe she's had it. I don't know. <laughs> I feel, I mean, yeah. how do you feel about, I think about this all the time. How do you feel? Because, I mean, the climb is, is, is a lot, right? Like the work. Mm-hmm. Like how do you feel about the thought of, of ever ceasing on, on the work? I had the conversation with my partner this morning where, because I'm like trying to figure out this IRA thing so that possibly I can retire someday. And I was just like, you know, I don't think that I will ever be able to retire for for one thing, just because the industry and like indie filmmaking doesn't make you wealthy enough to do so. Yeah. But also I think like you will still want some sort of creative outlet. So maybe I won't be doing like action-packed features because I'm tired and I want to sleep but like I'll still be do- doing something I think past a certain age but I mean we see Alfred Hitchcock directed like well into his later years so yeah Agnes Varda right up till she yeah died, right yeah like she she had a film come out the year that she passed that's right Her, yeah yeah so I mean there's nothing to say that you can't but I think I would like to have the opportunity to to take some to time. consider retiring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. I yeah. think too for uh, people who are creative and artistic, mm-hmm. if you're running on fumes, like you know, like any other thing that you do in your life, you're not going to be able to mm-hmm. do it well. So there has mm-hmm. to be some breathing room in between things. Yeah, the burnout, even just like in entry level positions, is real because you're you're like I'm Not trying much, to make connections though. and. Yeah, so especially where the industry is understandable. Today, it's like they mm-hmm. force you to burn out. It's like the way mm-hmm. that they're like trying to to see if you can you're tough enough. Like shut yeah. up. I think Yeah, there there are articles that I've been reading now because we have nothing but time to think about our thoughts and feelings during a pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of them are think pieces on like why did we decide twelve to sixteen hour days are normal so that people can't have families, they can't have hobbies, they can't like do these other fulfilling things. And I'm like, oh, yes, these are good questions to be asking. Like, why did we normalize busting your ass for like 80 hours a week and thinking that that's normal? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> the pain. Mm. The pain. It's also, it's inspiring that people are having those conversations, but I don't foresee things really changing. Yeah within the next five years i'm a pessimistic person too i feel like i (laughs) i call it being realistic but but, Um, you know (laughs) i you know and i think it's like also how much you you will it to change i've been thinking too Mm -hmm. through this pandemic um i i spent a few weeks on unemployment myself and then was lucky enough to have had a, a conversation that was started before the pandemic started and Mm-hmm. wound up with another job offer and now that Helen has me relocating to another city which is crazy right um but I was thinking about it the other day I'm like why am I doing this again like mm-hmm. I could just go live I always say to my husband let's go live in the woods he's like you wouldn't survive <laughs> a day in the woods like just call it what it is you mean like upstate yeah. on the Hudson Valley or something right right and, but like close fi- to people yeah figure out a way to like just <laughs> exist Mm-hmm. and you know and just kind of like exist and and still do creative work and just be happy mm-hmm. and fulfilled there mm-hmm. and I don't know I guess I'm a masochist 
<laughs> I'm right back. I have also been thinking though that that we often in this industry we're like if you don't pursue your dreams at the same time that you are just working all these hours like if you're not writing in your spare time or trying to create shorts or whatever then you're not then you like don't crave it enough mm. which I understand we want people to do everything that they can to prove to us I guess that that this is their passion but I think requiring people to to burn themselves out in an effort to pursue that is is cruel it really is it truly truly is I think there is a small awakening happening um there was a a a twitter uh a viral Twitter challenge thread that was going for a while mm-hmm. about people like opening up the door to like how low they were paid um, mm. as assistants in, in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you my first job, oh, this is actually like slightly embarrassing, but my first job as a producer at that company producer, I was an assistant producer. I grew into being a producer <laughs> yeah. while I was there though, because it was such a small company and there was so much to mm-hmm. do, but I was paid $1,200 a month when I started that job wow, and yeah. I was allowed to audition whenever I want that was sort of the caveats right like I was allowed to go leave the office to mm-hmm. go to an audition if I needed to especially if it was going to be for like a commercial or a day player role right. or something that wouldn't pull me away for a long time and mm-hmm. I bartended on the weekends and that was how yeah. you know that three job sort of like juggle I mean I was 22 to me it felt like this is the coolest thing ever Mm -hmm. Um, but I look back on it and I'm like wow I really like got myself used to that level of like go go do Mm -hmm. do do yeah and I I see even now when I'm like looking for what jobs are out there like these are lower rates than I saw like pre-pandemic I think partly because they know people are needing work so they'll accept lower offers don't take those jobs. which no i'm like i like to apply and then put in my salary requirements but they yeah. they don't reach out to me because i'm asking for more than they'll offer but but um i'm i feel like as much as i would like to think the industry could move towards a less caustic environment i feel like this post-pandemic period will be very challenging for a lot of us because rates will be lower and maybe you're right maybe i am a pessimist (laughs) i'm like like, i don't feel hopeful about what like early 2021 will bring you know i think it's going to be a lot like you know like 2008 when the writer's strike hit right like Mm. i think there's also going to be an effect that comes from the fact that there are just storylines and uh places and ways we interact with one another that we are not going to responsibly be able to film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this as a line producer who is um, gearing up to put something into production in a few weeks, right? <laughs> um, where we are paying the normal standard rates because to mm-hmm. me, I feel like they should be higher because we're asking people to take a calculated risk. You know, mm-hmm. as much as you test as much as you stand six feet away and provide all the ppe Mm -hmm. in the world like we don't even know what this is like no one science still hasn't really given us the most definitive outlook on it Mm -hmm. um and so i think i think unfortunately you're right um but what i do hope as like an upswing of it is that when Mm -hmm. when times are hard artists tend to speak louder um and search deeper for what they're doing and you know 
maybe one of the other benefits is that we won't all be concentrated in two very two of the most expensive cities in the United States <laughs> to live yeah. in in order to create our art you know hopefully it'll mm -hmm. be acceptable to be wherever it works for you to be and if you know mm -hmm. if you enjoy being in a city that sucks you, all of your income towards your rent then yeah mm -hmm. that's great good for you but mm -hmm. if you don't like that and you want to be somewhere else hopefully this will be an opportunity to um to to make those uh those moves so that you know sustainability can exist for mm -hmm. workers in this field because i think one thing that i don't think the general population realizes is how much of a blue collar industry production is i mean it's mm -hmm. essentially making a film is an assembly line mm -hmm. at the heart of it you know you're passing the the torch on to the next person the next phase um, and it, it is very much an assembly line. And a lot of the people who work on these sets are, you know, many of them did not pursue higher education. They went through technical mm -hmm. vocational schools um, and then they started working and they work in mm -hmm. a very unionized type of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode. Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts on Kathy and Catherine's, Kathy or Catherine's careers? Yeah, I think it's worth watching all of their films, you know? I think it's worth watching their films, and as you're watching them with your friends and family, like, point out, like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, a woman directed this film? Because mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, if we can look beyond uh, what's on screen uh, and just see who's making these things, we can inspire the next generation to... You know, and I don't just mean even like young women or um, and I say women and also, you know, non-binary individuals, too. It's just like and especially even, you know, in, in the case of, of Kathy is uh, Asian American mm -hmm. or uh, Asian uh, descended directors is like mm -hmm. showing that there's representation of all kinds out there to all kinds. Yeah. And that women don't have to direct only rom-coms, I think. We, totally. we see that they can successfully direct action, serious, any genre. Absolutely. And they can tell a man's story if, if, if you know, mm -hmm. we can. We yeah. absolutely yeah. can. We know what well-rounded individuals look like, whether they're male or female or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what have you. Um, Amy, how can people find you, whether it's social media, your website? What projects are you working on that you want people to follow? Sure thing. So uh, Instagram is probably the best way to keep up with me. I'm at Amy DePaula Films there. Uh, you can also follow my production company and podcast, Pink Among Men. That's on Instagram as well. Websites are also Amy DePaula and Pink Among Men. <laughs> um, my current projects are a crime series called The Naturals. Please keep your eye out for that. I also have a science fiction farce. Uh, about a woman's uh, strive for health care uh, that's coming uh, out uh, soon. Relevant. Uh, yeah. And um, I also, I, I filmed something in quarantine that I'm going to be releasing uh, soon too that's also in the vein of comedy and that'll be released on my nice. Instagram platform. So uh, oh, awesome. yeah, please do follow me. Um, this was so fun. <laughs> cool. I love yeah, it. I feel like this is a good conversation and I think I'm hopeful that people will learn more about directing and maybe be like, oh, hey, I can do that, actually. You can do, anyone can do whatever they want. Yeah. That's the overall. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. And I think that's it. Thanks, Tuesday. <laughs>